Welcome into Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin. Before we get going, if you want to check out any previous Deep Reporting episodes, episodes of the Vote 2018 podcast, or to sign up for the Morning Rex newsletter, head over to firstamendmentmedia.com. Today's show is fascinating. Rachel Monroe joins me to discuss her story called The Perfect Man Who Wasn't, which will run in the Atlantic's April issue and is already up on theatlantic.com. The link to the story is included in the description, and I highly recommend you read the story, then come back here to listen to the show. As you'll read in the article and hear during this episode, even the most aware of people can be swayed by master manipulators. And when it comes to people you trust, you just never know. Let's get the show started with Rachel Monroe and the perfect man who wasn't. Let's talk first about your story that you published for The Atlantic. What happened in this story? This is one of the weirdest articles I've, re- I've read in a, a long time that, that this type of person could actually like exist and get away with this stuff for so long. So could you tell everyone what the article is called and a quick summary of what actually happened so the article i wrote is called the perfect man who wasn't it was in the atlantic and it was about a man named um derek aldred is his legal name he's gone by a bunch of different names derek allred allred aldred rich peterson um and for the past decade or so that was the period that i focused on he's been romancing women in california in Minnesota, in um, the desert southwest, Arizona, Vegas, and finally in Texas, um, posing as this kind of ideal boyfriend while secretly uh, stealing a ton of money from them, um, and usually dating two or three women at the same time, um, and kind of scamming all of them, and then as soon as he'd get caught one way or another, he would just kind of move on to the next person. Um, and so, and it wasn't just these women he was scamming. He was, you know, he would get car leases from Mercedes dealerships or country club memberships, like, you know, $10,000 annual fee country club memberships on how he would do that or um, rent houses that he had no business affording. Um, and over the years just managed to live this kind of lavish lifestyle that, um, based completely on um, false premises. If we take a step back here, how did you find this story? Did you know one of the victims, or how did how did you come across this? And then, I mean, I'm sure once you started diving into this, at some point you came to probably came to a realization that, oh my, this is way bigger than I thought. Sure. Well, so actually my editor, who's amazing, um, had flagged the story for me when Derek ends up getting arrested in Texas, and I live in Texas, um, and I don't know quite how she came across it. It was covered to a minimal extent in the local Texas papers, um, and she, I think because I've written about, uh, I like to write about crime, I like to write about bad men, uh, and I live in Texas, she, she kind of flagged it for me and was like, would you be interested in this? Um, and I recently had somebody close to me had um, dealt with a romance scammer, um, and I don't want to give too much away about her personal life, but basically she's just an incredibly caring, incredibly bright, um, sharp lady and got taken for quite a bit of money, um, and that really kind of raised my awareness, and I think... Um, 
activated my attention to these kinds of scammers. Um, one thing I write about in the article is the sense that we all have like, oh, this happens to somebody else, you know, always like it would never happen to me. And I think having this happen to somebody that I care about a lot made me realize, oh, no, this could really happen to anybody. Um, and then you're right. As soon as I started looking into him, um, the Minneapolis and St. Paul um, local TV station there had, had actually dug into his past quite a bit and found um, found out a ton about him. And the more I looked, the more I saw that this guy had just such a long list of people that he um, had been involved with and, and stolen various things from um, for such a long length of time. I know you touched on it in the article a little bit, but how how does he go from person to person, I guess, with everybody at in the end sort of sort of knowing what he's about, right? I mean, these women breaking up with him, calling the cops, doing these different things, and seemingly he gets away just totally undutched moving on to the next person. I think one one reason that he was able to get away with it is that um, it's my sense that police departments, especially local police departments, have a really hard time with this kind of interpersonal crime, right? If, if somebody, if a total stranger steals from you, um, that's one thing. In some ways, that's easier to investigate um, because the there's not a relationship there. But just in the way that... Um, Police departments for a long time did such a bad job, and still, I guess, in some in some cases, do with crimes that happen within a relationship, like domestic violence or marital rape. Um, because these women were involved with him, um, I think a lot of times investigators would feel sort of suspicious. Like, are you sure he really stole from you, or maybe you're just a bitter ex? Um, and I think it also becomes hard to, to sort out um, which charges were legitimate and which ones were fraudulent. Um, and so in the end, a lot of those charges didn't necessarily get pursued all that seriously, although in some cases some of the, some of the police departments did go after him. And then it's also a question of jurisdiction. He's, I mean, he's a smart guy. He would move out of town. They're not going to extradite him from Minnesota to California based on credit card fraud, and he knew that. When he got when things got kind of too hot for him, he would just change locations. So, from your research and people you've talked to in the in your reporting and stuff, I guess this might be a deeper question than than between <laughs> you and me. But I mean, what it seems like this guy was a professional. This guy was taking everybody, not just the women he was with. This guy was taking banks and companies and and hospitals. How does it? I don't. How does it get to that point? You know, uh, that is a huge question, um, and that was something that a lot of the women that I interviewed, who, who were his victims, brought up. They would say he put so much work into scamming me. It can't. If he had put half of that time and energy towards some sort of legitimate career, he was a smart guy. He could have made money and not faced prison time for it. Um, so I think it, it's, it can't just be as simple as trying to get money. It must have to do with um, the power that you get over people by um, selling them on a, on a false reality. Um, 
because, you know, you would have these hour, multi-hour conversations with people who didn't exist. Um, and, you know, what's he doing that for? He's not doing that because that's an efficient way to, to get some money, you know. Um, he's doing that because something in him needed to, to build this whole false reality. And in the false reality, he's this very big, important guy. So um, maybe there's just an attraction in building that imaginary world and, and feeling like at least for a little while you can convince some other people that it's real. And what were your, some of your takeaways from interviewing these women? I mean, obviously... I'm sure the obvious things like disappointed, embarrassed, things like that. But what were what were some of your takeaways? I was it was so striking to me how much shame so many of them felt, um, and how much they, even though they knew he was a bad guy, even though they knew that he had wronged them, even though they knew that what had happened to them was really wrong, even though they could um, look at these other women who they then became close to and say, you know, what happened to them was wrong, it was not their fault, they still, there was still this feeling that something in them, that they, they blamed themselves. Um, and that was really hard to, to, to hear and to see. Um, and just how fundamentally their worlds were shaken was really striking to me. Um, it made me realize how the the laws that we have on the books, um, the actual criminal charges that could get brought against this guy, in some ways don't get anywhere close to encompassing the real damage that he did to people's lives. I mean, when you have been in a relationship with somebody and you think you know them and then you realize you've been, they've been lying to you about everything for months. It just really shakes you to your foundation. Um, and, and seeing that damage, um, was really, really profound for me. Um, just how deeply it undermines their, um, there's a sense of what was real. Um, well, probably because, right, like, you're, you you shouldn't have to, I guess it's it's not something that anyone ever tells you to prep for or plan for, right? Like, right. I guess if you're if you're going out at night in in a place that might not be safe, maybe you, you prepare by bringing pepper spray or something, right? Like, you don't prepare for somebody that's going to get, be that close to you for so long for the right. whole thing to be a lie. Right. You, I mean, you would be paranoid, right? If you, if every person that you dated, you, um, and he came with plenty of accessories, you know, he came with, um, medals and he came with his naval clothes and he came with framed certificates, you know, allegedly from the Navy. He had all these things. And if you, if you, every time you dated somebody, you know, like you asked for references and, and called, tried to call their ex bosses or something, you'd be, that would like, you would be the crazy one. Right. I think a lot of these women felt that way. Like they didn't, there was no, there was sort of nothing there. There was enough there that they really felt, of course you trust him just because you assume that people are who's, they tell you that they are. I and mean, that's, that's how we all live in the world, right? Yeah, and one of the most interesting parts that in the article that I want to see if you can expand on a little bit is is how all of these women got played, right? But then they hear about what he did to the other women, and they always they all go, oh, well, how could she have fallen for that? 
But then they all have their own stories of falling for something very similar. It was kind of heartbreaking to me, to be honest, because I, I was in this funny position of being kind of the repository for a lot of people's different stories. Um, and, and I would feel so much empathy for them. And then, and they would tell me the, the circumstances, um, under which he fooled them. And then, and then not, and not everybody did this, but a lot of them did. They would kind of shift and be like, Oh, but her, you know, she let him move in after just two weeks and she let him get access to all this money and she did this. And, and I, I would stop them sometimes and be like, look, you know, you guys all, you should be able to understand better than anybody else how um, somebody could make a decision that doesn't seem entirely rational here. You know, we all got fooled by him, myself included. Um, but it's so easy to look at somebody else's choices in retrospect and and judge them. Um, and these were, and that was the other thing is that he he chose people in a vulnerable situation, and so. Um, Maybe they weren't making the most completely well thought out choices um, that they would have made at a different time in their lives when they had more resources. Um, but yeah, it was hard to hear them judge each other the way that they sometimes judge themselves too. And I want to expand on what you just said there that you got played by him too. Now the end of that article is basically you saying, talking about your visits with him and how there was some false hope there in some of those visits. Do you think that he was trying to take advantage of you because being behind bars, you were, you were the only person he had access to to try to keep using these behaviors? Or what do you think was behind that? And, and also, what, you know, what was your reaction to those encounters? Um, well, the first time I visited him, I just happened to be, um, in East Texas where he was being held in jail. And I was like, oh, I'll see if I'll go visit him. And I, I sort of assumed that no way he's going to want to talk to me. He had never talked to press before, um, in any of these other situations. So I figured he, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's going to know it's, it's, he's just going to say no right off the bat. Um, but then sort of surprisingly he did. He did come up on the video screen. We couldn't talk face to face or we could only talk face to face through this video apparatus and um and I was surprised he was perfectly charming. Of course I was on my guard. Um or I thought that I was on my guard and um he was like, No, no, I, I definitely want to talk to you and, and sometimes you get that with um I've been a reporter for a while now, sometimes you get that with these guys. They feel like a wrong has been done to them and they and they want to talk about it and I I think that's what I thought was going to happen. That he was going to—he saw me as maybe a way to explain himself or justify himself to the world, and and I got really excited because everybody always wants to know what goes on in the con man's mind. Um, what did he think he was doing? What were his? Did he was he? Did he have conscious strategies? How does he explain all this? I thought I thought this was going to be that kind of story, right? Getting into the con man's mind. And then when over the course of the next several months, I just had such a hard time pinning him down. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure what, if he had an elaborate strategy. I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. I think in some ways we are trained from 
movies to think of um, con men as having these really complex, elaborate, brilliant, well thought out plans. Um, and the impression that I got from him more than anything else was that he he was an improviser, um, that he was too impulsive, really, to have a master plan, um, and that he just kind of sought the advantage in the moment. And, and that's kind of what I think happened with me, is that he saw me there, and he thought in the moment, okay, what can I, I can tell this woman what she wants to hear, because that was what he was most practiced at. And what I wanted to hear from him was that he would give me access, and so he told me that. Um, but I don't think that he had any desire, any any um, plan to actually do that. So after those encounters, did that did that change your perspective on the story you were going to write at all? I mean, now that you're maybe not looking at this from 5,000 feet up, but you've kind of, not in the same way, but in a, a similar way, sort of been in the shoes of the women you were writing about? It was it was just remarkable to me to experience it. I think of myself as an empathetic person, and then I felt when I was talking to these women that I, I really uh, was there with them hearing their stories, but then... Um, I felt, I think, when I, it would be just because it took me so long to realize um, that I was being played too, it gave me just a whole, a different layer, I guess, um, of empathy, seeing how easily, for me, you know, I walked into this situation with so much information. The guy was in jail, you know, for conning people. I had heard so many stories about him. I knew what he was. I knew what he had done. Um, and even then, he told me something, and and I believed it. Um, so it just really underlined for me um, how susceptible we all are to somebody who tells us what we want to hear. What takeaways should we have from this story? Then, I mean, you just said it. Like you came in completely prepared and knowing exactly who this guy was. And in some ways, that that still wasn't necessarily enough. And you also said earlier, if you're doing background, full-on background checks on every person you go on a date with, you're probably the crazy one. So where's that happy medium there? What are we supposed to take away from this to sort of move forward with our own lives so that we know that this is out there with, at the same time, not living under a rock for the rest of our lives? That's a really good question. To me, the takeaway is less about maybe sniffing out the the manipulators in the world and and more that we need to find ways to be sympathetic to and support um, people who have gone through situations like this and to not expect them to be um, perfect or blameless victims, not to discount somebody um, who was involved in a situation that ended up with them being manipulated, stolen from, lied to, not to sort of assume um, that's, that's somehow their fault. And, and I mean that from a legal perspective and also from an interpersonal um, perspective, just to have more... Um, empathy for victims and not to 
look at them and say, well, why didn't you do this? Or why did you do this? Um, but to realize that um, this really could happen to any of us. Um, and I think in some ways realizing that, really reckoning with that, like this, this could be, this could be you, this could be me, um, hopefully makes us more alert to it. It's really easy to Monday morning quarterback it and go, oh, well, I would never do that. Totally. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. And so anything that's kind of that that hindsight, oh, this kind of behavior protects you, I don't know if, if that's the case. Um, I think that's super manipulative people um, are really good at subverting all of that. Um, and so maybe it's just... Um, believing people when they tell you that uh, something shady has happened um, rather than doing that Monday morning quarterbacking that you're talking about. As far as you're concerned, for your, you're talking about stories that you're interested in, things like that, and, and sort of trying to get into the mind of, of the con man, what kind of answers did you get that maybe you were seeking were you did you get into his mind a little bit did you or are you more confused now than you ever were before now that you've been exposed to somebody like this well to be honest i think that the journey that i went on both apart from just realizing my own susceptibility um was becoming much less interested in the con man and more interested in um the people whose lives he affected. I think um, that was, I realized that I was sort of susceptible to the romanticization of the con man that is this um, American um, pastime that we have where we we kind of wag our fingers at these guys, but we secretly think they're really fun and interesting. Um, and the more that I learned about the way that Eric, operated and and what he had done to people the less interesting i found him to be honest um and the more interesting i found um these people who were sort of trying to rebuild their lives after this tornado moved through it and and i guess the 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 only insight that i have was what i was saying earlier that that maybe for him at least it's it wasn't um, this brilliant, well thought out master plan, but just this, just a kind of improvisation um, for advantage in the moment that wasn't about that didn't care who else got hurt. So sort uh, of a that's, a, not, that's not all that interesting. That's that sort of a that kind of impulsive, predatory, um, power seeking. It's that's not that romantic. That's not as romantic as. Yeah, so it was That's just like right. a, a combination of narcissism and procrastination. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And that's um, that's not all that interesting. Yeah, right. It's not. It's not like the brilliant mastermind that um, that we're maybe conditioned from from movies to want these guys to be. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Where can we find your work? Maybe what's coming up next for you? And where can people follow you and, and, and read the work that's coming out for you? Sure. I have a website, which is rachel-monroe.com. I'm also, I always post stuff on Twitter. My Twitter is at rachmonroe. 
Um, I've got a book coming out next year about women, crime, and obsession. Um, and then there'll be a few stories intermittently between now and then. Um, but the book is the big exciting thing. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was really fascinating to get inside your mind a little bit as you were getting inside their minds. Hopefully everyone goes out and reads this story and takes something away from uh, the mind of a con man and, as you said, the victims. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're officially on iTunes, so subscribe, listen, and rate Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin. Or you can follow the SoundCloud channel, Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin. And remember to head over to FirstAmendmentMedia.com to check out episodes from the Vote 2018 podcast and to sign up for the Morning Rex newsletter. Follow us on Twitter on the handles at FirstAmendMedia, that's at 1-S-T-A-M-E-N-D Media, and at Rex Carlin, that's at R-E-X-C-A-R-L-I-N, for all the latest information on all of our content. I'm Rex Carlin, and you've been listening to the Deep Reporting Podcast.